Good morning again. I mentioned earlier we'll be touching on some adult themes today. We will be looking uh, at Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a, a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll be on page 978 in the Bibles that you'll find under the chairs. If you want to follow along there, we'd be uh, excited to read this together and see what God has to teach us today. I think this is something that our culture is really especially in need of. We've been seeing this, this theme again and again that Jesus gives us a new identity, right? Our, our identity is not in what we've done, uh, what we've been through, what we're facing right now, but our identity is based on uh, how God reckons us through Christ, what he's done for us, what he's accomplished for us and through us. And so we, we come to the scriptures and look at it again, and we're reminded again that, that we're adopted into his family. We're loved by him. And so then as we come into chapter 5, we saw this last week, and we'll kind of hit on this again, that because of the love he has for us, because he's our daddy that loves us and adopts us, then we should imitate him. We should try to be like Christ. We should try to imitate our heavenly father and, and walk in a new way with him. So we should put away our, our old habits, put away our old identity. So today we're calling it an attractive love. There's this idea that, that true love is, is sacrificial and it's this beautiful fragrance, the text says. It's this beautiful aroma, the sacrificial love that Christ had for us and that then we should live out as well. And that's in stark contrast to a, to a selfish love uh, that so many in our culture now have said that, that our identity is based in our sexual preferences or I, our identity is based in our desires. And what the Bible says is, you know what, we all have some desires uh, that we need to fight. We all have bad desires. We all have desires that we need to put away and we need to recognize God's love for us and recognize that we can trust him even more than we can trust ourselves. And so that's really a challenge for us as biblical Christians is not to uh, condemn people because of which categories of bad desires they have, because the Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have desires. We all have temptations uh, that we have to, with God's help, push away. We've got to fight against those and walk with him in faithfulness. So let me read the text for us. It'll be Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me pray for us. 
God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us. We ask that you would help us uh, to walk with you in newness, that you would help us to walk with you as, as children of light, that we would uh, know a love that is attractive, that is beautiful, that honors you. And God, we pray that you'd give us wisdom as the world that we live in is constantly firing different messages all around. We're hearing different things. We're just inundated with different thoughts. We pray that you would help us uh, to trust you, to trust that you're good and that you love us, and that out of that you would help us to listen to what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my, one of my favorite things uh, to do is to come home on a night when my wife is cooking a special meal and just to, to smell that smell right when I walk in the door, right? Just that Oh, it smells so good. It's been a long, hard day. It smells really good. I'm really hungry. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Maybe you're walking into your favorite restaurant and you smell uh, that thing that you can't wait to order, right? Uh, What it says in the text is that the sacrifice of Christ is this fragrant aroma. It's this incredible smell. I'm sorry, I know you're all hungry now because I said that. So it's this incredible smell. It's this, this beautiful thing. Christ giving himself for us. And we smell that and and our lives are to be like that. Our lives are to be that same kind of attractive love. Sometimes you smell things that put you off, right? I mean, there's sometimes you walk into a restaurant and you're like, I I can't eat here, we gotta go, right? Have you ever had that experience? Um, I, I remember one time when, I think it was when my wife was pregnant with our first child, we were uh, eating bean burritos that night and uh, I think I'm going to make my wife sick just by telling the story. But we were eating bean burritos that night, and for some reason, I mean, normally we've got Cholula and Tabasco and taco sauce and salsa and everything else in the house. We, we, keep, we love all that stuff. But for some reason, we didn't really have much, I guess because, you know, we were poor and about to have our first child. But we, we didn't really have anything in the fridge. We were just eating plain bean burritos. You know, it was just like refried beans. That was it. And uh, I, I, like to just, I like to add sauce, spice, things to everything I eat, you know. Um, my wife has taught me lately to appreciate food as it is a little more. I'm growing to actually like enjoy vegetables and things like that. But generally, early on, you know, this was 16 years ago, I, I, uh, I just always had to put sauce on everything, right? I just, I would always add something to whatever I was eating. And so it's a plain bean burrito. And I thought, all I can find in the house is honey. So I'll put honey. I know, <laughs> he's recoiling. This is confession time. I'll put honey on my refried bean burrito, right? I mean, it seemed like a good idea to me. And you know how when you're pregnant, it seems like you smell things even more than normal, right? My wife was just horrified. I think she made me, like, take it out to the back porch to eat it. I don't really remember what happened. I just remember her shock and her horror, kind of like the look of shock and horror that you all had on your faces. Um, she was like, this is not right. This, you can't do this, you know? You can't put honey on a bean burrito. And um, I thought it tasted okay. I think you should try it sometime. But sadly, I had to eat it out of community, you know, on the back porch because it was so uh, abominable. It was so horrifying. The, the text sets up that there's kind of two different kinds of love out there, that there's this love that's a selfish love, um, and, it, and it doesn't smell so good. And it's not really good for us even. But we often have these desires for this other kind of love. And then there's the sacrificial life-giving love that Christ has shown us, and that that's the model. This what we call the gospel, Jesus giving himself up for us. That, that's the model of true love, and that we should then walk in a new way 
we should love each other in a new way as a result of that gospel. And when we do that, it'll smell right and good and true and beautiful, as opposed to this other smell, right, that, that we should kind of recoil against. Paul is saying, you know what, you shouldn't even, you shouldn't even play around with sexual immorality. It should, it should offend you, right? And in our culture, we're, we're taught day after day that it's okay. You've probably had the experience where you've been around a bad smell that you didn't like at first, but then you got used to it and you just didn't even notice it anymore. Um, there's certain towns in West Texas when, you know, we would stop on a trip and get out of the vehicle and you're like, wow, this, this, it smells like there's a lot of cattle here, right? Um, but from what I understand, the people that live there, you know, after a while you just get used to it. Um, and I think that's kind of where we are in our culture. We're, we're in a place where sexual immorality doesn't, doesn't, we don't really recoil at it anymore. It doesn't offend us. It doesn't bother us. It's just kind of like, yeah, we're just used to it. It's everywhere. It's all the time. And it leaks into the church. And so Paul's instructions to these guys are similar to, I mean, they're exactly what his instructions would be to us. We live in the same kind of city. Ephesus was a city of sexual immorality. And Paul was saying, you know what, as Christians, you should mimic your father in his righteousness and in his holiness. You should live differently. There is a holy way to live, and then there's uh, an immoral way to live. And Paul is saying, don't slip back into what you lived in before, what is normal in your city, what is normal in your society, but live in a new way. And that's our call. And so I want to make clear from the beginning that as Christians, again, let's just, I, I want to level the playing field. We believe that we're all sinners. We believe that we've all failed. So this is not a talk for those of you that are feeling, okay, now I'm going to get bashed about my you know, background or my habits. No, we, we believe that the text speaks to all of us that we've all failed, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of God's standards in, in multiple different ways. And so as we address specifically the topic of sexual immorality, I, I want to be clear that, that we've all fallen short of God's standards. And some of us more in some things than other things. But this is a universal message. This is a, a universal goal that we would attain to a holy way of, of living, that we would uh, love each other well in a way that, that reflects God's law and his standards. So I just want to lay that out there, that, that as we dis- describe what God's goals are, it's not to, not to single out certain people, but it's to say as a community, if we want to be followers of Christ, we need to live in a new way. We all need to. We all need to put our past behind us and start fresh. So the first thing I want us to look at is, is really this idea of a, a generous love versus a, a greedy love. He uses the word greedy in the text it's translated in the esv as covetousness i believe in other translations it says greediness Um, it's this idea of taking something that doesn't belong to you and and really that that's a big part of our sexuality because we're taught to think that we can just take something for our own satisfaction and that our desires should come first and so what that does in our culture is that sets up sets us up to see sexuality as a as a way to satisfy our own needs instead of as a way to express covenantal love. Does that make sense? So let's look at the text again, just the first few verses. Uh, in verse 1 it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So we hit that really hard last week. I want to come back to it again this week because it's a motivation for what he's saying. He's saying, believe that you're really loved by your heavenly Father. Now if you don't believe that you're loved by the God of the universe, you're going to struggle to trust what the God of the universe says, right? His standards are going to feel harsh and foreign and other but if you love him they may still seem a little bit alien they may still seem a little bit hard but you'll you'll give him the benefit of the doubt right you'll be like well my desires tell me this but i know that god loves me so i think maybe i'm going to trust him more than my own desires 
And as we do that, that enables us to be generous like God is. God is a generous God towards us. He's gracious towards us. Instead of just viewing life through the lens of what are my desires, what do I want, what can I get out of this, we should begin to view it as, I've been shown grace, how can I show grace to other people? And that affects our sexual identity and our sexual morality. So he says, as dearly loved children, as beloved children, imitate God. And verse 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the gospel of Jesus giving himself up for us, is the, that's the foundation for any morality. That's the foundation. Okay, and I want to repeat this. We said this last week. But morality, biblically, is not, I'll do right things, I'll obey the law, and then God will be impressed with how much of a law-abiding citizen I am. That's not biblical morality. Biblical morality is we're all humbled at the foot of the cross, recognizing we've all fallen short, and so we confess that. We recognize whatever sin it is. You may be religious, and maybe you don't struggle with some of these sexual immorality issues, but you're backbiting and you're selfish and you're prideful, right? So, so we all come before the cross saying, you know what, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I need his forgiveness. And he says, when we recognize that, then that helps us to then walk in love as Christ loved us. So Christ loved us, so we want to love other people. Just as Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So now we can walk in this new way. That's a, that's a fragrant offering. that can bring beautiful things into our community. So he says then in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He says that, that just shouldn't be seen as something that's a part of the community of the faithful. And so a lot of churches handle this in different ways. For us, uh, what I want to be clear on is, is we welcome you. If, if you don't have the same standards that the Bible does, you don't have the same standards that we do about uh, sexual purity, we welcome you to be here and to worship with us and to listen and to hear what we have to say about who God is and, and his love and his forgiveness for us. doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian or a disciple of Christ just because you come here on Sunday mornings. We're glad to have you here. We want you to come here and find out more about what it means to walk with Christ. But the other side of that is, if you want to follow Christ, he's going to tell you you need to put your past behind you. So if you want to follow Christ, he's going he's to make demands on you. He's going to tell you things like, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, he also says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's a paradox there where Christ says, you know what, you have to die. You have to lose your life to save it. You have to give up everything you've been clinging to in your past to come follow me. But he also promises it's going to be sweet. You'll actually find what you've been looking for in me. It may be difficult. It may be painful. It may be feeling like you're dying as you put your past behind you, you're going to find real life in me. And so that's the promise I want to give you, and that's why I want you here to hear this week after week. Even if you're not convinced yet, I, I want it, I'd love for you to come back again and hear us so that we can plead with you that you really will find true life in Christ and not in all these other things that you're placing your identity in. So he says, this sort of thing shouldn't even be named in the community of the faithful. It just shouldn't be who we are, right? Sexual immorality shouldn't be who we are covetousness impurity and he goes on and he says it even affects how we how we talk and how we joke right he says we shouldn't even really joke about it he says in where is this in verse four let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving so he says we need to put this stuff behind us we need to not even allow it to be named uh, other translation says there should be no 
hint of sexual immorality in our community, we should put it behind us and we shouldn't joke about it. Now, obviously, this is kind of a a gray issue, kind of what people joke at, what people laugh at. Um, The idea is that we shouldn't be filling our mind with it. We shouldn't make something cute that God thinks is is ugly and is not a good idea. And so we should be clear about that. Now, I I think that's going to end up being practiced in different ways by people. But I think the main point is we, we shouldn't savor and enjoy and celebrate immorality. We shouldn't make light of it. We shouldn't think it's cute or funny. We should say, you know what, I'm, I'm trying to live in a new way. And this is going to be hard for us as a community of followers of Jesus to live in this world that constantly makes light and says it's cute. And not only that, celebrates it and says it's a good idea. So that's just going to be hard. And I'm just going to say that up front. I recognize that, and we're all going to navigate that in different ways. You know, we have friends that are involved in things that, that we would say they shouldn't be involved in. And how do we love them? How do we be gracious to them? How do we interact over that? How can we be what I call unshockable Christians, right? How can we not just go, ah, every time, you know, something like that comes up? We, we don't want to be like that, right? We want to embrace people and love people and walk them through. I mean, we want to be like Jesus who met the, the woman at the well and just calmly talked it through with her. Like, yeah, you've, you've had this string of five husbands. It's not really working out for you. You're, you're worshiping relationship. He says, there's a different kind of worship that I have to offer you. And he's, he's very kind to her. He's very gracious to her. He doesn't shame her. But he's also, there's also a standard there, right? It, he doesn't change his beliefs to, to make her feel more accepted. But he's also very accepting and kind and loving to her. And so I think that's a model for us as how we should interact with this. I, I think it's important that we just define what it means when it says sexual immorality. I mean, the word is porneia. We get pornography from that. The word porneia means really biblically any sex outside of the covenant a marriage relationship. And so biblically, a covenant marriage is between a man and a woman before God, where a couple promise to love each other permanently and forever. And Tim Keller has a helpful distinction that he makes that really biblical love is the difference between a covenant and being a consumer, right? A consumer is where you have an agreement that says, if you measure up, then we'll keep this relationship going. A consumer says is, is if you fulfill your side of the bargain, then I'm in. But as soon as you fail, I'm out, right? That's a contract consumer way to view a relationship but the bible has this covenant way of viewing a relationship that is very much like a contract but it's more unconditional right you agree to the relationship no matter what we agree to love each other for richer for poor in sickness and in health we make promises to be gracious we make promises to love each other well but we know that the other one's going to fail at times right and that we're we're in it through thick and thin we're we're going to hang in there and that creates this safe space to really be yourself. That creates this place where you can actually feel open with another person. I had a picture here of a uh, cash register just to think about how you view uh, sexuality. Are you, are you giving something in exchange for something you want? Or is it a part of a covenant, permanent, bounded relationship? Another way I like to talk about it a lot of times is that a sexuality should be like a fire in a fireplace, right? The Bible says that sexuality is this beautiful, great thing that, that God came up with, right? He, I mean, down to the detail, created our bodies to respond to each other the way that they do. He's not embarrassed by it. He's not shocked by it. It was his idea. But he tells us this is how this fire should be used. This, this should be used in the fireplace. It should be guarded and protected. 
so that you can enjoy all the beauty of it. And what happens is when we just make it a contractual exchange, when we just make it, uh, well, I like you this week, but I may not like you next week, um, and I'm just going to get what I want out of this relationship, and I'm just going to follow my desires, I'm just going to satisfy myself, because I've got these desires, and so it must be my identity. If I have these desires, I must need this. That's just how I'm made. Well, then, then you're not going to really be loving someone. It's really all about you, right? I mean, when, I, when I'm just desire-focused, it's all about me. It, it's not about loving other people. It's about fulfilling my desires. And it comes back to where we find our identity. Well, the first thing, uh, application-wise, we need to move on from this point, is that, first of all, some of you are in a covenant relationship. You're in a covenant marriage, but you're not treating it that way, right? You're still treating it in the contract way. And so you may have the illusion of, I'm not a sinner like all those other people that are involved in the sexual immorality, but in a way you are because you're not loving your partner unconditionally. So I'd say that's the first place to start. For those of us that are in a a covenant relationship but aren't treating it that way, that we should repent and we should ask Jesus to help us follow his example of being sacrificial and and of loving our spouse sacrificially and giving grace. Some of you need to go to your spouse and you need to repent. You need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Because I've been in this situation trying to get what I can get out of it instead of giving. Uh, Some of you need to repent of the relationship you're in because it's not a covenant relationship at all and it never can be. Some of you need to just cut ties. Some of you need to stop giving into desires. Say, I need to put sexual immorality behind me if I really want to follow Christ. I, I need to trust him and what he says about sexuality more than I trust myself, more than I trust my own desires. If you're struggling with that, we, we have counselors and pastors and many of us here, we'd, we'd love to talk to you about that. If, if you need help making that happen. But that, I think, is the next step for many of us. And some of us need to repent of just toying around with it. I mean, some of us, we're just, we're in the, the course jesting, right? We're joking about it. We're making light of it. We may think, I'm not really engaging in sexual immorality, but I'm going to joke about it, and I'm going to watch all the shows that joke about it. But we need to, maybe we need to stop watching those shows. Maybe we need to not joke about it so much. I'd recommend if, if that's the whole, you know, point of a movie. It's probably not the kind of movie you need to watch. You don't need to fill your mind with that. You need to fill your mind with what is true and good and right. And again, what what Paul does is he connects sexual immorality, which is any kind of sex outside of covenant marriage, he connects that with impurity. He says it's, it's, it's unclean, it's impure, it's not good for us, right? Think about your hygiene, you know, you want, you want to be clean, you don't want to get sick. And then he also connects it with greediness or covetousness. It's this idea of, I must have this. And that brings us to the next point I want to talk about. The next point is that it's true, not deceptive. Attractive love is true, not deceptive. So he repeats these same terms again. So look at verse 5. He says in verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. So now he's, he's kind of raising the bar. He's saying you're actually an idolater when you're greedy or covetous. When you're saying I must have this. It's actually an idolatry. What you're doing is you're saying, it's going to save me. This is my God. My desire for whatever is the thing that's going to save me. And so my desire, fulfilling it, is more important than what God says because he can't really save me. That's what you're saying. That's why you can't follow Jesus and continue in sexual immorality because you're following a different God. You're saying with your mouth, I follow Jesus, and you're saying with your life, this other thing is my Savior. Fulfilling these desires, that's what's going to save me. I'm not saying it's easy. 
But I'm saying you've got to choose who your Savior is going to be. Who are you going to trust in? It says that's idolatry. He continues, these people, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He says you can't be saved. You, you don't have an inheritance. You're not a part of his kingdom if that's what you're trusting in. So again, I want to clarify. He's not saying if you've ever fallen into sin, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Because the Bible's clear about that, right? The Bible's clear. Jesus is inviting sinners to himself all the time, saying if you repent and trust me to save you, I will save you. But if you want to trust these other things to save you, they won't. And you're not going to get to heaven through trying to choose those things as your Savior. So so the question is, who is your Savior? Are your own desires your Savior? Is whatever identity you've created for yourself going to be your Savior? Or is Jesus going to be your Savior? He says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So he says there's a lot of people that are going to try to deceive you and try to say, well, God's the God that's not angry anymore. And so God's kind of called this eternal get-out-of-jail-free deal where it just doesn't matter what anybody does anymore. He just doesn't care. So some people communicate that as what grace means. Grace means God just doesn't care. He has no standards any longer. But what grace means is that God met the standards for those who would trust in him. So he still I still have standards. Like I still am holy, and Jesus died on the cross to meet the standards of my perfect holiness and my perfect righteousness. And if you trust in him as your savior, he will save you. But if you trust in yourself, that's not going to lead you anywhere. He goes on, verse 7, therefore do not be partners with them. Therefore do not be partners with them. So this, again, he's saying, put this behind you. It promises salvation, but it's not going to save you. It promises salvation, but it's not going to save you. It's, it's actually idolatry. It's actually the worship of a false God. Covetousness is actually idolatry. Saying, I must have this. It's the only thing that can save me. That's actually idolatry. That's actually worshiping a false God. You may not have a little statue on your mantle, right? You may not have gone to that extreme and uh, melted down some gold earrings and formed it into a statue of whatever desire you have and then bow down to it, right? And say, will you, will you give me prosperity, Right? That, that's how we think of idolatry. But he's saying, but it is idolatry. It is idolatry when you say, my desires are more important than whatever God has to say to me. That's idolatry. That, that's covetousness where you say, I must have this. It's the only way I think I can live. I have a picture here of uh, peanut butter. Anybody here eat peanut butter? Like peanut butter? Yeah, peanut butter's pretty good, right? I, I don't like it. It makes, makes my mouth stick together. Although the other day, my kids were saying it's because you, you put a whole tablespoon in your mouth at once. If you had smaller bites, you'd be able to chew it. But I just don't have time for that kind of thing. So, <laughs> But anyway, I, I digress. My, when my son was little, he had a terrible allergy to peanuts. He, if he ate peanuts, he would go into anaphylactic shock and, and die, right? I mean, we almost lost him one time when he was about a year old, and we, we figured out this horrible a peanut allergy, we had to carry around the epinephrine pen. I don't know if any of y'all have those EpiPens for a, a bad bumblebee allergy or something else. And so we were always afraid he might eat the peanuts or eat peanut butter and then die. And so he had a desire for something that tastes good, right? Tastes good, it's generally nutritional, but it could kill him. And, and so I just use that to illustrate to you that, that we can have desires for things that aren't good. Thankfully, he's not allergic to it, which is very unusual. He's actually grown out of the allergy, and so now it won't kill him anymore. But 
I guess after all those years of knowing it could kill him, he just doesn't really like it anymore. So. But we all, we all have desires for something, right? And part, of the, part of the problem I see in our culture is that the, the homosexual community has, has kind of won this PR campaign where they say, because I have the desire, I'm made this way. Because I'm made this way, it's okay. We don't do that with other sins. Like, why would we do that just with homosexuality? So I just want to appeal to you. If you have those desires, I have desires for all kinds of things. I, I want to steal things sometimes, right? I mean, th- there's all kinds of desires I have, and I say, you know what? I, I trust God more than myself, so I'm not going to do that, right? If I want to do some terrible thing to somebody, if I want to indulge in some pleasure that I know, you know what? That's out of bounds. That's not, God, that's not what God would have for me. When that thought comes through my mind, I don't say, this is my identity. I have these desires. They're natural. God may be this way. It must be okay. Therefore, I don't agree with the Bible anymore. Therefore, I don't agree with God anymore. But somehow, that has kind of won the thinking now of the homosexual community. We don't generally apply that in other areas, right? We don't generally apply that thinking, but it's become so identity-centered. I would challenge you that it's just like any other desire. If you're allergic to peanut butter, don't eat peanut butter, okay? And God says there are certain things that will hurt us. And he loves us. And even though we desire them, and they even may give us temporary pleasure, they may feel good. He says, long term, it's going to hurt you, and I don't want you to do that because I love you more than you love yourself. And really, that's the message of the gospel. God loves us more than we love ourselves, so much that he gave himself for us. And so I just want to appeal to you not to make your desires, don't make them your identity. Don't fall for that. That's a deception, right? He says, don't let people deceive you with these empty words. Don't give in to that. It's idolatry. It's not a true savior. So resist that. Again, go back to the gospel. Go back to who God is. Is this really who he is? Have I really made mistakes before? Have I been wrong before? Yeah. Are we all sinners? Do we all have some false desire that we shouldn't give in to because it's going to hurt us? Yes, we all do. So don't place your identity in those desires the last thing that he tells us is that it brings light attractive love brings light we'll start in verse eight he says for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true try to discern what is pleasing to the lord take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them i want to stop and explain what this means expose them because I think we sometimes think about it as, what's going on here? We sometimes think about it as like, you're supposed to sneak in on someone that's sinning and shine a flashlight on it. Uh, that's not what that means, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying, live as light. And as we live as light, we'll expose that these other things are, are not really God's will. So as we actually love each other well, uh, sometimes people call this the community apologetic. As we, as we love each other well, as we live in real community, as we practice faithfulness to God and what he tells us to do, people will see that and say, wow, maybe, maybe this is true. They'll begin to understand God's plan and God's will, and that light will shine out from us, and it'll expose the darkness. It's not like we're going around and saying, hey, don't do that, and hey, don't do that. We're, we're just living gracious lives, and light will shine out from us. So he says then, uh, picking it back up in verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So again, he's saying it's not that we should go after sin. We shouldn't be obsessed with sin. 
We should be obsessed with living and walking in life. We should be obsessed with, with loving each other well, with uh, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a sacrifice for us, which is a fragrant offering to God. That, that's beautiful. That smells good. That honors God. Verse 13 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a quote really from a, a kind of a conglomeration of a lot of stuff that Isaiah said. Uh, Isaiah talks about this concept of the new people of God shining like a beacon, right? Shining like a light. Talks about it in Isaiah 50, Isaiah 51, Isaiah chapter 60 as well, and other places in the Old Testament. I have here a picture of a lighthouse. Um, any of you ever seen a lighthouse? We don't really have much of it around here because we don't really have water, right? But some of you have seen lighthouses, right? You know what the purpose of a lighthouse is, right? It's to, it's to help people live, right? It's to shine the light and protect people against danger. And he's saying we should be that kind of light, that we should kind of show people what is. We should expose reality. And as, as the new people of God, uh, we should shine light for others to see. In Isaiah, he says it this way. He's prophesying that this day is going to come, right? When salvation comes through Jerusalem, We've seen it now in Jesus. And he says this new community is going to be like this. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. It's an attractive light. It's a beacon for others to see. He said, Kings shall come to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. He's talking about this really worldwide revival. We have other pictures of this uh, in, a, um, in Revelation, right? Every tongue and tribe and every people and nation bowing before the throne of God. We've seen this repeated again and again that our identity our tribe is that we're the people of light our tribe is that we belong to jesus and as we rest our identity in him as we rest our identity in following him he helps us to then bring light to the world around us and it becomes attractive it becomes this light that points others to who god is and so my final point we'll wrap up here is that this attractive love then we're inviting people to jesus Right? We're not necessarily inviting people to the 1950s model of the traditional family in America. Right? Because, because what happens is a lot of people, we turn this into a political debate. Right? Kind of between traditional way of living and non-traditional way of living. And then there's this concept that a lot of non-traditional people have. Well, you just want us to go back to the 50s when there was all kinds of darkness under the hood and kind of bad things and corruption. But the families looked good on TV. You know, uh, we, we have this leave it to beaver a family where everything looks perfect, but really under the surface it's not. And so non-traditional families are kind of turned off by that. And what I want to tell you is that we're not, we're not trying to attract people back to Leave it to Beaver. I mean, I, I like the show. It's a good show. But I mean, that, that's not what we're trying to build, right? We're trying to be biblical people. We're trying to follow Jesus. And so as we're a lighthouse, we're not attracting people to some frozen picture in time of traditionalness. We're attracting people to Jesus, walking in faithfulness, to him, following him, seeing that attractive love that he has for us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. 
And we thank you that you've given your life for us, and I pray that you'd help us to walk in love, that you'd help us to live in this new way in faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You may be dismissed.